step into the mic today, Chris Miles, Ted Jeffries, but we got two of our friends, uh, Tony Massenberg, Walt Williams. So let's give the people a quick rundown of exactly who you guys are. I mean, both Terps, Walt, seventh pick in the draft, what, 1992, Tony Massenberg, still uh, tied for the record for most NBA teams, uh, played on in his career, an 18-year career. And then I look at both of you guys, man, I have it as 18 teams in 28 years in the NBA combined. So these are the two guys that have tons of stories. And Walt, I think we should start with you because Tony and I talk all the time. I talk to you uh, a little bit less. So, and I'm just thinking about uh, the fact of when you guys went to Maryland, both of you guys were Terps, but the time period and where that was in, in, in history as far as following Lim Bias. In fact, let me go ahead and put this prop up. This isn't just a coincidence. You there you go. There That's, you go. You know, yeah, yeah right know. after Lim Bias. Um, so tell me about your situation in heading to Maryland and getting those lessons from Lenny and, and, and what your situation was like. Well, for me, man, um, I, I, as a youngster, I grew up as a Georgetown Hoya fan. And so, um, you know, I was a big fan of John Thompson and, uh, you know, th those, those teams early on. And uh, my father is from North Carolina, so he was a Tar Heel fan. And he took me to a... Uh, a, Terp, a Tar Heel Turf uh, game once, and uh, that's I got to see Len Bias live. And so um, the thing that stood out to me was his jump shot, man. It was just it was just beautiful, and um, it, it just stood out to me out of everything that was happening in the game, how fast paced the game was going. Uh, when he raised up to shoot that jumper, it was just like, man, I was mesmerized. And from that point on, I started to follow him. And next thing you know, I was a I was a full blown Turp fan. And so he was he was huge. He was he was the reason why um, I became a Turp fan, actually. And so uh, we would we would go out on the playground, you know, playing pickup games, and uh, it, you know, before we get the game going, everybody would, uh, yell out who they gonna pretend to be that day. You know, and uh, I would always, I would always yell out, you know, Lynn Bias's name, and that had a profound effect on me uh, later on in, in in my in my decision making process of which school I was going to go to. That played a part in it. I, I wanted to have that same impression on my community. I wanted the the kids to go to the playground and and pretend like they were me, uh, like like I did Lynn. And so, uh, you know, he was huge in, in, in reasoning why I chose the uh, University of Maryland. Tony, let me, let me ask you this as we, we skip to more Lynn Bias talk. Um, I actually had the opportunity to talk to Kevin McHale, how we're talking now, and watch mm -hmm. a game. And he talked about Lynn Bias and Reggie Lewis. And he said, man, if that kid would have became a Celtic, the, eight, the 90s would have changed as far as history is concerned. So there's always that link between Michael Jordan, Lynn Bias, and the what if. I mean, you know Lynn Bias better than uh, most people, uh, Tony. So tell us what made him so special and what was it like being around him and, and playing with him and his impact on your life and your career? Well, first of all, the same thing that landed Walt at the University of Maryland was the same thing that landed me at the University of Maryland. The same things he saw were the same things that I saw. I probably just saw them a little earlier because I'm two years older than Walt. But the influence that led me to Maryland. I wanted to see what made this guy so great because I saw the jump shot. I saw the 40 inch vertical leap and, and, and I saw the competitive fire when you watched him play. You just saw that dude who was a real alpha dog on the court, much like Michael Jordan. So that's what to me has always made this conversation so interesting because 
I've never really seen a guy that I have really played against or played with that I could really say was a true rival or could be a potential real rival for Michael Jordan. Lynn Bias would have been that guy because of the physical similarities, the same mentality as far as the competitive nature and the spirit and the drive and that dog mentality, meaning I, I'm, I'm not going to quit. You're going to have to, you know, I'm going to go down swinging type of mentality. He had that much like Michael Jordan, a bigger, more physical version, meaning the, the athleticism, a better jump shot and, and, and similar attributes athletically. So I would have loved to have seen them. And I'm in agreement with Kevin McHale, Chris, that the nineties would have been changed, but to be around this guy, you just felt the, the greatness that, that you just knew that this guy was a star from the way he carried himself, from the way his swag, the way, way he moved on the court, the way he moved off the court, the way people were just drawn to his personality because you just felt that you were around a person who was destined to, to, for great things. And so as a youngster, when I got for the first time to be around that as a freshman, it really had a profound impression on me because first of all, I noticed that he wasn't just a great athlete. He put in the real work in the weight room and in the gym, and he, and he really honed himself into a great player. He was a great athlete when he came to the University of Maryland, but when he left, he was a senior, he was an all-around great basketball player, and that spoke to his work ethic. So I adapted that and, and just that whole wanting to be like Lynn mentality as a freshman. And, and you know what, fellas? What, what was lost in the game is that when Michael, uh, when Jordan went on to play in the NBA and in, in his greatness, he inspired a, a whole generation of guys who just tried to mimic him and, and, and be like Michael Jordan. And so you would often see guys that uh, young, uh, early in their career to say, you would say, oh man, he reminds me, you know, he moves around like, like Jordan or somewhat of a sort. Uh, I can't think of anybody who I've ever seen that I say, oh man, he reminds me of Lynn Byers. And, and that's unfortunate, you know, uh, uh, that, that the game is missing that part of it, you know, because he was a, he was a great player. And uh, had he got the opportunity to play in the NBA, he would have inspired a whole generation of uh, younger players as well. And, and, and let me say this, Chris. I really think had he had the opportunity, if things had played out the way that we think they would have, he would have changed the game. And when I say change the game, meaning there would have been guys emulating Lynn Bias, talking about guys who were going to be big and strong and able to shoot jump shots in the 80s. See, we didn't really see that until it didn't become commonplace until now, like in the late 2000s and more recently and from like 2012 to, you know, to now to where we really started emphasizing big guys that can shoot. Lynn Bias would have been the guy that would have changed that because being around guys like Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, they would have not settled for not allowing him to eclipse his potential. And he would have learned what it's like, would learn greatness from legends and guys who were already great. So there's no doubt in my mind that not just basketball would have been forever changed, but yes, the 90s, the amount of rings that the Bulls got, I really do believe in my heart of hearts that had Lynn Bias lived, things will be a little bit different. Fellas, we have this uh, show, The Last Dance, going on right now. You've been talking about MJ and the comparisons of what could have been with Lenny. I remember growing up, so Adrian Branch being my first cousin, and him taking me around to Maryland's campus, and he's living up on Leonardtown, and, you know, 
uh, I remember Len Bias walked out of, the, out of the bathroom in the suite, and I was just like awestruck because you know, like like Walt, I'm like, man, that's Len Bias right there. Yeah. You know, and you just look at this dude, and you're sitting there, and you can't even imagine what your face is looking like, you know, as he's looking at you. But I was just lost for words. And I was like, man, I can't believe I'm sitting here. A.B.'s my cousin. I've known him for years, and he's a special player. But, dude, that's the advice. So when you talk about the comparisons to MJ, and we're all ball players, we got that ego about us. You remember the first time you came in Jordan's presence on the court on the NBA, in the NBA, and the first time that you came in LB's uh, presence, and how do those two compare for you? Uh, for what? me, uh, y'all go ahead, Mass. No, 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 go, go ahead, Wiz. So, so for me, uh, the, the only time I got an opportunity to uh, come in contact with Lynn is on, I was, uh, uh, my sister was on campus uh, uh, doing something for pre, pre-registration or something of the sort. And I got an opportunity to play on the south side of campus pickup game. And, and, and that was the, the only time I had the opportunity to uh, see him uh, or play with him. And I mean, he was just extraordinary in pickup games. You know, uh, it was just amazing to see uh, the sense of urgency he played with and uh, just how he could shoot the ball on an outside court. You know, just all chains. You know, it's changed out there now, right? So it was amazing. And uh, but my first time against Jordan, man, was actually my fir- um, in my rookie year. Um, I didn't sign with uh, the, the Kings until the last preseason game, and uh, it happened to be we were playing the Bulls out in, um, in Sioux Falls. So it wasn't a, a it wasn't a, a city that had an NBA team, and so uh, it wasn't uh, televised, and so. Uh, I flew into Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls the day of the game, didn't know any plays. So when I got into the game, we just virtually playing pickup sort of and uh, just pick and roll action. And so uh, one of the plays, uh, uh, you know, we were running a 3-2 pick and roll with me and Mitch Richmond. I'm, I'm handling the ball. Scotty's guarding me, Jordan's guarding Mitch. And so at this point, you know, Scotty was just on his way. He wasn't the dominant defender that he he ultimately be, uh, he became to be. But uh, so the play was for for us to want to pick and roll, anticipating that they were going to switch, and then I was to throw it to uh, Mitch on the wing to ISO against Scotty Pippen. So when we when we ran out, when I ran the pick and roll, when the, and the switch happened. I mean, it just a flash came in my head that said, oh, my goodness, I could tell my boys that I got this bucket on Jordan. <laughs> so I waved Mitch off. <laughs> Clear it out. Clear it out, man. I got this right quick. <laughs> so I give him my footwork crossover right to left. He steals it, goes down the other end, <laughs> and give me the emblem dunk. Bam! Oh, you know? wow. And then he turned around when he running back down to the court. He smacked me on the butt and say, "Hey, man, we watch film up here. I knew he was gonna do that fake ass crossover." <laughs> cool, no, cool. Hey, Wiz, he told you that for real? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so right there, right out the gate, I understood that these dudes are gonna know everything. They gonna study everything, everything you do. doing out here. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible, man. That is. What's crazy about that is like with us talking just now and we talk about Lynn Bias, now we talk about MJ and every time they play LeBron's first game, there's a point where he dunks and they they cut away to Tony because Tony was on the Kings at that time and he's like, 
oh my God. Like, <laughs> so we know the hype of LeBron coming in. We know how great Lynn Bias was. We know how great yeah. Michael Jordan was. But when you saw those guys and then you saw LeBron for the first time, was it like, oh, it's another one of those? It, was it just like that or not? It, no, it, it actually was. It was, I knew the first time I saw LeBron in 03 that, you know, because again, the one thing that separates great guys a lot of times at the NBA level, or NFL or whatever in particular, because these sports are athletic sports, meaning power, speed. So guys who have that exceptional combination of power and speed, I saw that in Michael Jordan the very first time I saw Mike. The very first time I saw Mike was actually when I was in 10th grade and Mike was like a freshman at UNC. My coach of high, in high school used to drive us down to UNC to go to Carolina's practices because we ran, we ran Carolina's offense in high school. And my coach was, my high school coach was from North Carolina. So the first time that I saw MJ practice was at Carolina as a freshman. In fact, I was actually at the practice where he broke his hand as a freshman. I don't know if you guys remember that. You might be too young because I'm the oldest guy on this, <laughs> on this telecast right now. So, but uh, on this call, but I was there when he broke his hand as a freshman. But the point of what I'm saying is that I watched Michael Jordan develop from a freshman through uh, his dominance in the ACC, um, two drafted, you know, being a, you know, fourth pick, third pick in the draft to the Chicago Bulls to being the, the best player in the league. And again, a guy that had an exceptional athletic skill set. We had never seen anybody fly like MJ at the time. Um, he ascended into the pro ranks. So you knew that he was special in that regard. My first experience with Lynn Bias was actually um, the, in, the, in, the, in the June of the summer that I came up to the University of Maryland. I was actually uh, 17 years old at the time. And so this is like my first day or two on campus. And so, you know, we're playing pickup games, so we got to get together. So this is my first time playing a pickup game with Lynn Bias. We go up to George Washington University because that's where the run was at the time. So we all pile up into Lenny's uh, Oldsmobile 88, a bucket, right? Great joint, big joint. It's like we literally have been there like, like you know, six deep, right? So we're, we're going down to UDC. Uh, not, uh, I'm sorry, to uh, Georgetown, to uh, George Washington, rather. And we're playing. And as soon as he walks in the gym, everybody's like, the gym stops. They're like, I got bias, you know, because everybody <laughs> knows, you know, who this dude is, right? So you just knew. Even if I'm sitting in the car and I'm just in, in the back and I'm looking, I'm like, you know, just like you just said, Ted, you know, damn, this is Lynn Bias. Right. You know, and, and again, I'm a guy who just signed there as a freshman. So this is my dream. This is like what it would have been if Kobe, God rest his soul, had got a chance to play with MJ at Carolina. Kobe would have did that. We all know that. So I got the chance to, to, to live my dream and playing with Lynn Bias and we're riding to our first pickup game together. So we get on the court. And again, like Walt said when he played his pickup game with him, just flat out dominance, making jump shots from everywhere, dominating dudes from inside, quicker to the ball than everybody, out jumping everybody. And the one defining play, when I'll never forget this, when it was game point, when I knew that I had some work to do if I wanted to get anywhere near this dude, it's game point. This dude snatches a rebound in a crowd of, of six, eight, six, nine, sixteen dudes because it was other, you know, college basketball players out there. He snatches the rebound over everybody. His feet hit the floor for less than a split second. The same dunk that he did on Warren Martin, he did on at least three dudes that were contesting in a crowd. 
He got the rebound. His floor, his feet hit the floor in a split second, went straight back up, reverse dunking on everybody, and won for game point. I stood there, like, I remember standing there, like, after he let go of the rim, and I was just frozen, like, I can't believe he just did that, like, with all them dudes around. And so I was, I just remember thinking to myself, like, this dude is special on an athletic level, on a competitive level, and, like, I got a whole lot of work to do to even be worthy of playing with this guy. So, you know, that was my experience with him as far as, again, another guy with a special skill set. LeBron, like you said, Ted, I watched him all that night. I had never seen a guy at 6'8", 240, that's what he was at that time as an 18-year-old, move with that type of speed, have that type of bounce. And that dunk that you're talking about, that was just his patented old, you know, where he cocks him back, but his head was over the rim, and we weren't used to seeing guys get their head over the rim like that in 2003. You, you, you do remember that, right, Wiz? Oh, yeah. We didn't so, see that. You know, it, yeah. it, was, it was like Vince Carter and, like, you know, maybe one or two other dudes, Tricky Ricky, you know, a couple of dudes, <laughs> Ricky Davis, you know, but we just did not see dudes who regularly got their head over the rim. And I saw him do it in high school, but to see it in person and the speed that he played at and his, his IQ, you could tell for the game at that point as far as passing and setting up people, you could just tell that he was going to be special. That's outstanding. Now, you guys played with a lot of fantastic players in college, obviously in the pro, in the pro excuse me. But you also have unique uh, commonality that you played for a couple of great coaches as well at the University of Maryland. Um, and, and Tony, because of what you said, I'll go off of this uh, and, and use your words because you are a little bit older. You have the, 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 the stick uh, – Pleasure of having played for the old left-hander as well. Yeah, so you've got Lefty Giselle, Bob Wade, and then you got, of course, Gary Williams. Walt, you've got Bob and, and, and Gary. Now, I remember being at the Hall of Fame, D.C. Hall of Fame ceremony Walt, uh, about a couple of falls ago, and uh, Gary told a very emotional story about the fact that he credited you as to saving his career at the University of Maryland because you decided to stay and, and continue your playing career with Maryland rather than transferring out during that transition. Can you tell us a little bit about that in that time period? Well, I can tell you this, man. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, University of Maryland was special to me because I wanted to follow in Lynn Bias's footsteps. But also um, just going through the recruiting process, um, having Coach Wade come to my home and, and talk to my family, he just reminded me of my grandfather and, uh, you know, just the way he looked and, and just his mannerisms. So I, I just felt the comfort level um, with him. And uh, he was one of the, the, the biggest reasons why I chose the University, University of Maryland as well. And so uh, when, when uh, in my freshman year, all of that went down and, and, and Coach Wade was, uh, uh, Coach Wade resigned, I was upset. I was upset at, uh, and, and I thought that I felt like uh, the university let him down. Um, he was my guy, man, and he, he did a lot for me. Um, he, he, he was more than just a coach. He, he uh, inspired me to do well in the classroom. Um, you know, coming into the University of Maryland, I wanted to play basketball. But he, he, he made me know uh, very early on that uh, I had to give the effort in the classroom, and, and it made me feel like he cared about me on and off the court. And so um, um, uh, those type of things weighed on me 
uh, during that time. But uh, just going through the process, I just established a, a relationship with my teammates and they felt like family to me. And, um, you know, I just didn't want to turn my back on family, especially going through the times with, that we were going through. I, did, I just didn't want to leave them out, leave them out in the cold. I felt like I could uh, uh, help the university uh, get back to its prominent, its dominant days, and and uh, the 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 cloud that was over the university or the narrative that was uh, with the university that, that wasn't something that I was familiar with growing up, and so uh, I wanted to to make an imprint on that and 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 do what I could to to restore the University of Maryland's name. And so, um, like I said, I wanted to follow in Lynn Bias's footsteps. I felt like the only way that I could do that was at the University of Maryland. So um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't uh, take myself through a process of trying to figure it out, man. I just let it naturally come to me. Whatever I, I woke up feeling that particular day over an extended period of time, that's what I was going to flow with. And, uh, Every morning, consistently, I woke up wanting to be a Turk. So it was it was relatively easily easy for me. Um, I didn't even realize what was going on, what I was doing uh, at the time. I just you know just wanted to stay with my family and, and uh, ride with them through the tough times. You know, Walt, hearing that sense of of pride of where you're from makes me think of the recent documentary that KD put out about PG County and all the Hoopers. Uh, Quinn Cook has a bite in it, which he says, like, man, our our high school team had five NBA players. You know, when you think of KD uh, going away from home, when you think of uh, Fultz going away from home, Victor Oladipo, I mean, you're talking about top picks in the draft almost year after year now. It's become a commonplace thing. Uh, For you being part of, of this story, of PG County Hoops and, and what this documentary represents, how much pride comes into that and, and what do you think is the best part? of it? It's a lot of pride for me because uh, I didn't realize uh, that you can be in the NBA from PG County, you know, and so it wasn't a goal of mine planning games to, to make it to the NBA. It was just about whoever was watching this day, whoever was in the arena, I wanna, I'm going to show you that I'm the rawest dude out here. And it, and, and it turned out to be uh, me getting to the next level. And uh, so, so and that came from the competition that you, you grow up playing against in, in, that, in that county. And you, you develop a confidence, you develop a swag, you know. That's why I walked around with the high socks, man, and in the era and at a time where dudes were wearing ankle socks so low that you could see the, the tape. The, the tape that was on guys' ankles, you know? And so, uh, but I didn't care at all, man. I, I just felt like, you know, um, I wanted to stand out and I wanted to dominate. And, and that came from a mentality of, uh, of growing up the way I did. Uh, and so uh, I, I think that me not playing, also me not playing on a high school team, I mean, on a, in an organized scenario until I was in high school, uh, really helped me a lot because you know, I was just street, a street ball player up until that that uh, to that time. And so, you guys know when you're playing pickup games, if you think you're going to post up out there, uh, you you're not going to get the ball that much. You got to be able to handle that ball. And so, I think it was an advantage for me. So now, when I get into an organized situation, I'm a taller kid, but but I can handle the ball. I can I can I can do I can make plays from the perimeter. 
and, and then, uh, so now when you see me at, in, in, at the University of Maryland and the way I approached the game and the way I played the game, now you started to see an influx of guys coming from the PG County area, six, five guards coming out of this area like crazy after that. And so, so it's a lot of pride that I take in being able to uh, just open the eyes of, of uh, these college recruiters and have them understand that in this area right here, uh, it's a breeding ground for a whole host of athletes. And now specifically uh, guys who are six, five, six, six and above that can, that can do the things that a six, two, six, one guy can do. Well, it's, it's funny that you talk about the high socks and when you harken back to what you said earlier in our interview, how you wanted people to, to announce, I want to be Walt Williams, like you did, like you, like you said you wanted to be like Lenny. Yeah. I remember distinctly having also grown up here in the DMV, but then being down in Charlottesville, Virginia, being a quiet fan, uh, <laughs> you know, watching you play. And you and Tom Gugliotta going for about 33 a night in your senior years, <laughs> you know, averaging damn near 27 a game. It was crazy. Right. But a lot of people, you brought an identity to the DMV with the high socks and your game. So it's, it's crazy how you talked about what you wanted to happen and it coming to fruition because you definitely had people on the playgrounds. And, you know, hell, I can tell you the story straight up. Me and my college roommate, Chris Slade, who played football yeah. at UVA, one of the greatest all-time football players. We used to sit down there and watch games, watch Maryland play, and we used to say, uh-oh, is it a blizzard? Nah, it's Walton Blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if I get a ball right now, he would say the same. I can start the first part. I promise you he would the same thing. So, now nah, you, you, you created a, an identity here at the DMV, man. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, in Prince George's County, you go on – our Mount Rushmore of all, you know, of all PG Absolutely. County players. Absolutely. And I'm just, Absolutely. I'm just living it right here with PG County. Um, but I'm sure, that, you know, for sure it's greater than that. But B.Y., let me, let me piggyback on, talk about greatness and great players that you played against. You have the distinction of playing with one of the greatest power forwards in the NBA that the league has ever seen. And that's uh, Tim Duncan, also an ACC product. He just got nominated. He's going to go into the Hall of Fame. He's going in with a, a groundbreaking class. Talk about your experiences of playing with Timmy D, getting a chip, and what that felt like, you know, being in that parade, getting that ring. Tell us about the whole thing. Let us live vicariously through your experience. <laughs> well, I, I actually had the chance to play with, you know, three of the all-time greats. You talk about power fours. I played with Tim. I played with Carl Malone in Utah. I played with Chuck. Uh, Charles Barkley, his last year. So, you know, I played with Chris Weber in Sacramento. So, you know, all-star all power forwards and Hall of Fame power forwards is, you know, it's just kind of been a theme that I've been around. But Tim, first of all, was the guy who really was the face of the San Antonio franchise. You got to remember, I got introduced to the franchise by David Robinson. Like, when I got drafted by the Spurs, David Robinson was the guy in 1990. He was, like, really the dude. And clearly had a great reputation and, and you know, a, a very coachable superstar, you know, as they like to call it. And, was, you know, kind of, you know, really nice guy in that way, something that you didn't really see with superstars because superstars at that time kind of had the reputation of being divas. And so here comes Dave Robinson, who's kind of, you know, the admiral and, and Navy guy and everything and has a great reputation. 
And then they draft Tim Duncan some years later, and he's in that same kind of mold as far as being a very coachable big man. And so to see Tim uh, grow from what he was as a rookie uh, and, and winning a championship with uh, David Robinson and becoming a champion early and continuously watching his game progress and having to guard him over the years and realize how good he really was. I mean, Tim Duncan was one of the most versatile big men we had ever seen at that time. You're talking early 2000s. Again, when you're not seeing big dudes that can really stretch the floor a little bit and be great passers while still being dominant rebounders and post players. You just didn't see that. And so Timmy really, uh, by the time I got to him to be his teammate in 2005, 2004, he would really become the guy who we really looked at is like, okay, this is the standard by which power forwards are measured. You know, 6'10 and a half, 6'11, versatile, great footwork on the block, can face the basket, can pass, can shoot the ball almost out to the three-point line, and delivers in the clutch. A guy that's a real guy that you can actually put on the block and you can win games through him while at the same time being able to play vers be versatile enough to play with another big man. So he got that early from playing with David Robinson, so he got to be a power forward. So for me to be around him and have to, to guard him in practice, and I would have days to, well, literally, man, I would do my best defensively. I'm getting physical with him. I'm pushing him. I'm shoving him. I'm fouling him. And it just, there was nothing I could do. And then when I would see him do that against All-Stars and Hall of Famers during the season, I'd be like, okay, well, Timmy's on the roll today and they're not going to have a chance because when he's, when he's on and he's passing the ball, when he's giving you the work on the block, there's literally nothing that you can do. So, again, another guy who when you were around him, not just a nice guy, but another guy who you know is just destined for greatness. And for Tim, there were just, from a basketball standpoint, there were no weaknesses in Tim's game. He had that soft kind of spoken demeanor but trust me when I tell you, he had the heart of an assassin. And he, if you test him, he would step up. You know, I saw KG go at him more than once. And I saw him respond in ways that it, it just, you know, it was not pretty, brother. You did not want to make Timmy mad. He was the type of guy where you would talk trash to him because I've seen dudes do this. He would talk trash to him. He would stop. He would look at you. He wouldn't say nothing. And then, you know, eventually he'd look at Pop. And then once he looked at Pop, you were going to get cooked, brother. Because the next, next, next set of plays coming, <laughs> yeah. for next set yeah. of plays coming, you were going to get done. And when I say get done, you're going to get done royally. Manhandled on the block, and ain't nothing you can do about it. I saw him do it to KG. I seen him do it to a rack of dudes who really thought they could really get at him because he was the type of guy that just didn't say much. But the dude is a real winner, and, and, and you can't be soft being a real winner. No oh, man, I, hey, look, I can tell you right now, man. I don't like that dude, Tim Duncan, man. I, <laughs> I played for, I played for the Trailblazers and the Dallas Mavericks, man. And we, both of those teams, are championship caliber teams for sure. Had we gotten to the matchup with that the East Side, the East, um, Eastern Conference team, you can't tell me I wouldn't have a ring right now. But both times, man, that Western Conference, <laughs> both times yeah. he lost to Tim Duncan yeah. and those Spurs, man. Yeah, you know. Man. Yep. So if it wasn't for that dude, I'd probably have some, some hardware right now. <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, Wiz, when we used to play you guys when I was in Vancouver, you guys had the squad 
that y'all were shutting down all the bigs in the league because y'all had so many versus. Yeah. Y'all had a stack of dudes from yeah. Rasheed Wallace to Brian Grant to Sabonis to, to Jermaine O'Neal to Kelvin Cato to, to – I mean, they just had a plethora of guys, man, that they could throw at it. So they were, they were tough on all the bigs. Hey, Wiz, remind them of the time – during the time that you played with Rasheed. And, again, you're talking about dudes that revolutionized the game. We hadn't really seen a big 6'11 dude run the floor like Rasheed Wallace was running the floor and shooting threes. See, Rasheed Wallace was shooting threes in Portland. People don't forget about that. He was shooting threes in the 90s when you didn't see 6'11 dudes shooting threes and he could play on the block. So Rasheed was, was you know, one of those dudes that we, like we say, is really underrated because he was a top two, top three power forward in the league during, during his prime. I'm, I'm talking about he shot a high percentage from the three-point line. On Very the block, high. you had to double him. Yep. He had hook shot. He had right shoulder both ways. Uh, defensively, he was a good on-the-ball defender and off the ball. Uh, he was very intelligent. When you call plays out, he could direct. He would direct dudes what to do out there, how to how to function through pick and rolls. I mean, he was very high level in every aspect of the game. No you know, doubt, not just his ability to play uh, to to score. So, I mean, he he's up there for me. Tony, there's something that you and I talked about before, and I want to hear what Walt has to say about this because you shocked me with this answer, and I said, okay, so you hold the record for most NBA teams played on. You played overseas as well. Give me the top two places you lived and played. And, Walt, I want you to chime in too. But, Tony, enlighten the people because you shocked me. <laughs> uh, you said this because another former Turk refused to play in one of these places. So, mm -hmm. please enlighten the people, the two top places you've ever lived and played. And that I love playing at. Fun to yep. play at, right? Yeah. The first place was L.A. I mean, and clearly, I played for the Clippers, but I love playing in L.A. Everybody knows L.A. was off the chain. And, and, you know, I don't even have to get into why. You know what I'm saying? I was out there when, you know, Dre Rain, Tupac, and all of that. You know, they were just – everybody was on the come up around that time. So, you know how much fun that was every day in L.A. But TGI Fridays. TGI Fridays was off the chain. Yeah, your boy, Matt. Hey, your boy, I still tell the story, man. Tell him, Ted. I still tell the story. Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson is the only guy I know that has ever thrown a party at a TGI Fridays. He used to do it at TGI Fridays. And literally, Chris, literally, Chris, there will be two to 300 people in line to get into a TGI Fridays, brother. It would be low riders. It would be Porsches and Benzes and Range Rovers and like all of like all the mixed in crowd. That TGI Fridays thing that Magic did was off the chain. But anyway, we love that. But the second city, the second city, Chris, is Vancouver. Vancouver. And let me tell you one reason why Vancouver is so special as far as like the just the first of all, you don't have to really deal other than a little bit of rain during the wintertime, you don't really have to deal with cold weather. When you think about Canada, think about cold weather. People forget sometimes that Vancouver is out west. It's west coast, far northwest. So you don't get a lot of cold weather unless you go up in the mountains. But the city, the way they embrace the team, the, the, the scenery, the city itself, as far as like a beautiful city, clean city, no crime, like it's, it's just a great place to play. And they literally love the team. And I was kind of sad. And I understood why the team had to, you know, eventually leave. But I was kind of sad when it did because that's, you know, Vancouver to me is one of the more fun cities I've ever been in. You should have told Steve Francis, man. He's like, I ain't playing. I tried, He's like, Steve, I tried, listen to me, I tried man. to tell him. I tried to tell him. In fact, I tried to tell him that summer before the season started. 
because I knew that we, you know, we were gonna have like a high pick, and I knew he was gonna be a high pick. I'm like, listen, man, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't sleep on Vancouver. Whereas you remember how we used to play during the summertime, yeah. the runs, the runs up at up at Coldfield House, North Gym. So yeah, we I talked to Steve, but um, but yeah, unfortunately, you know, he chose not. That's how I ended up in Houston. My two cities, uh, you know, I played in uh, what like five or six of them. So it was uh, Houston. I really enjoyed Houston. It was uh, yes, we did. That was that was, <laughs> that was a good city right there. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I live in Sacramento, and it's because that's when my life circumstances changed. You know, I went from yeah. a college kid from PG County right, right. to you now went from broke to rich, brother. You went from broke to rich real quick. Ain't <laughs> happening like this. Wow. Ashy the classic. Yeah, man. Isn't it about Richard Poe? Oh, it was fun times, you know. <laughs> Great times, man. Great times. This is step to the mic. And we wanna we wanna get the real deal. Right, so uh oh, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that time, Wiz. It's that time. We gonna get the grease. We gonna get the inside of the locker room stuff. We gotta get the people what they want, and, and we gonna stir it up to you. Uh, so well, while you were in Miami, yes, we understand there was a story, a so-called wrestler, and uh, in transit getting back home from the yeah, club. Yeah. So, so yeah, we had the club, man. We hanging, you know, me and a couple of teammates, and so. Uh, you know, uh, at the end of the night, uh, we we taking all day. We like we like the last dudes to lead a bar, lead, lead a, a club, and everything. So the the club was not in a not so good area, you know. So right. now we trying to get a cab to come out there and pick us up, but the cab won't come. No, no right, cab right, is coming. Right, right, right. So we walking out. We literally in the middle of nowhere. We sitting out in the parking lot. And I happen to look over to my right, and it's, it's way over in the corner of the parking lot, underneath a tree. This dude is sitting in a chair out there. So, <laughs> so I walk over to him, you know, just, just to go holler at him, see if he could get us a ride home or something. And when I walk over to him, it's the junkyard dog, man, JYD. <laughs> <laughs> My boy Junkyard Dog took us home from the club that night, brought us back to the, wow. us back to the spot. Took y'all back to the spot, man. And by the way, we ain't talking about the whole wheel. We talking about the real Junkyard. Yeah, dog. I'm talking about the real Junkyard yeah, Dog. He was he was security out there. He was security or something out there for the club. Wow. And uh, yeah, man, that's so incredible. He ended up taking us home, man. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I, I was a, I'm a huge wrestling fan too, so. I immediately recognized him, man. So it was, uh, right. I was a huge fan of his. So it was, it was awesome for that, for him to uh, ride us home, drive us home, man. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. I, I, I was trying to get to the point, I was like, what was Junkyard doing sitting in the chair outside the club? <laughs> <laughs> he was security, right. man, yeah, hoping it down. down. Yeah, <laughs> on his, on his J-O-B. All right, B-Y. No, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, you go ahead, Ted. B-Y. We need we need some grease. You and I, we won't we'll talk about the story. You and I <laughs> yeah. hanging out yeah. in Barcelona. Yeah. Give yeah. us give us one of your wildest stories for your days that we can air on you know on the, on the airways. Something crispy clean. Now I want the Barcelona. 
Oh, you went to Barcelona. <laughs> Give me the loan up, baby. Hey, 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 hey listen. Hey, 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 the Barcelona story ain't that good. It just involves a cat nap right in the middle of all the action. Yeah, that's so, lightweight that's story. All, that, that's, a, that's, a, hey, that's all. It's, it's a cat nap in the middle of the action. That's all you need to know about that. So, but listen, man, I got a lot of them, obviously. Unfortunately, the majority of them cannot be told over these radio, <laughs> over these uh, airwaves. If they would have had social media and camera phones when Wiz and I were in our 20s, when we were playing, still playing, it would, you know, there are a lot of guys who would be viewed a lot differently <laughs> than, what they, than what they are today. Because a lot of the crazy things that you were seeing in the documentary uh, with Michael Jordan, you know, you just, you could not imagine getting away with some of the stuff that Dennis Rodman got away with being there. And, and, you know, the internal things that go on, Walt not going to test. Those things happen. You know, there's fights in the locker room, disagreements with management, stuff like that. Those things happen all the time on, on all different teams, on, on different levels. It's not always dysfunction. But those things happen sometimes. But the behavior aspect of it, you know, the, the going out and doing certain things in public, man, you know, we got away with the comparison to what the modern-day players have to deal with from a media perspective and, and – fan perspective because everybody's got a cell phone with a camera you know we actually got away with murder in, in, a, in a lot of places and it's not that we were doing anything illegal but it's just that you you, you everybody's got their private lives and, and guys were you know young and in their prime and making a lot of money and, and, and do a lot of people and you know basically enjoying their lives and unfortunately you know people were trying to you know get in on that sometimes so you know I'm from that old school man where you know I don't you know I, I ain't snitching. The term you're talking about is dry snitching. There will be no dry snitching. No, be no In the last dance when Jordan was like, I walked into the room and it was cocaine everywhere. No parts of that. Like you dry snitching, MJ. You're a terrible human being. Man. I tell you I, I, what, I man. There, man, hey Chris, I did the same thing. I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you know, you throwing your boys under the bus right now. <laughs> uh, you looking a little, you looking a little suspect right now. I'm worried about you. Hey, I tell you what. On on the last dance, though, when they when they talking about stories like how Jordan would make things up in his head or get himself uh, pumped up, you know, I was a victim of that one time, man. You know, I was I was playing for the Raptors, and uh, <laughs> oh, no. we had we had uh, I, I believe it was the the year that they were sixty nine and thirteen. They almost had back to back seventy win seasons, and. Uh, I believe it was that it was either that year or the year after 97, 98 season. But um, we, we, I was on the Raptors and we, we probably won maybe 25 games, man. We, it was, the Raptors were a new team, just, just trying to figure it out. But I was the small forward and uh, Doug Christie, uh, he was the two guard. And so normally uh, Doug would match up against Jordan. I match up against Pippen. Uh, so this particular game, uh, Daryl Walker, you know, he would list the, the uh, starting five for the, for the opposing team, and then he would list who was going to be matched up against them. So I saw my name beside Jordan, and uh, so I'm just like, oh, okay, I thought that was a, you know, a typo or something. So I went to, you know, get warmed up. Uh, and then when I came back into the locker room, my name is still beside Jordan. So I'm like, okay. It's a different type of preparation, you know, for Jordan. You, you just got to get ready. So no needless to say, my job was whatever side of the court he was on, I'm just pushing him baseline towards uh, 
uh, Camby or even Carlos Rogers. Both of these guys are seven foot guys, thin wingspan, maybe like seven, five, seven, six, like really long guys. So every time Jordan would get the ball, I push him to the baseline. He would see those guys coming to help and he would stop and pull up. And then I would contest. And so in the stands, it probably looked like it was me guarding him one-on-one, but really I, I understood that he was stopping quick and trying to pull up before the double team came. So I was anticipating that. And so needless to say, he, he was about uh, four for 12 or four for 13 that game. He had like 12 or 13 points. I had like 25. And so the reporters, the media was lighting him up after the game, talking about how, you know, I got buckets on him and how I locked him up and all of that. So two weeks, about I say about two, three weeks later, we played him up in Chicago. And so once again, I look on the chalkboard, Daryl Walker got my name beside beside Jordan. I'm like, yeah, I got him. You know, I got him for sure. You know, because you want to compete against the best. You wanna, you wanna see, you know. You want to go at him. You want to go at him. So right before tip-off, you know, we all standing around a circle. Uh, Jordan look up at me and he say, hey, man, I remember that trash you were talking last game. So I'm looking at him like, hey, you, hey, like I said, we all competing. So it's like, it's whatever. Let's get it. But inside, I'm going, hey, man, I ain't say nothing. That was the media, bro. I didn't say anything, man. <laughs> You know, so he got himself all pumped up like I was talking trash to him or something. So he gave me about 40. I don't even think he played in the fourth quarter, man. It's like in three quarters, you know. So, so, so Wiz, why, why y'all, well, why, did, why the game plan didn't work? Because I know it had to be similar, funneling, funneling to the help. Yeah, well, why but didn't it didn't work this time. Why I mean, it, time? he was just missing. You know, when that, that dude was so quick that you really couldn't contest. You just was, right. you like put your hands up and, and hope he missed. Mm-hmm. And so that first night, he, he just happened to be missing. Right. Uh, it, we had the same, the same uh, concept, the same uh, 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 way we were defending him. Everything was the same, but he was just, I mean, every time he got the ball, whatever, you know how they ran the triangle. Mm-hmm. He was in different spots throughout the triangle, but whenever he touched the ball, play was over. He was going right at me every time he touched the ball. And it wasn't nothing anybody could do. Well, you when you mentioned how quick he is, or you know, was, um, everyone always talks about how Michael Jordan can jump or has jumper was so good, even though that happened later in his career. When I look at him play, I'm like, man, he's just always faster than everybody. I mean, how much do you think that factored in how difficult it was to defend him? Because he was so fast and so quick whenever he wanted to do things. So that's the key, man. He was not just fast, he was quick. That that first step. I mean, he would blow or get you on the on his side with that first step just about every time. And then he was so strong that he could get up to the basket, that quick leaping ability. And so you were at his mercy, so he had to give a little ground. And that's why he started to develop that jump shot. He was so consistent with it because he knew you had to give ground a little so you couldn't uh, block that jump shot. So his quickness was, I mean, he had the quickness of like a dude like Muggsy Bogue size, you know, like, I'm talking about really, really quick, and he's like six seven, you know, and so uh, that I, I believe that was a tremendous asset to his game because now, in order to guard him or to stay in front of him, you had to guard him with a smaller guy, and so you know now you he he developed that uh, that post game that mid that mid that mid post game where he could go both ways or both shoulders and shoot over top of guys. Um, 
he wouldn't have been able to accomplish that if you could uh, guard him with a guy that was bigger. So he was just so quick, you, you, you couldn't do that. You had to guard him with a, with a guard, and oftentimes he was taller. So, but that dude's quickness was just unreal, unbelievable. Anytime anybody can separate in the game of basketball, and, and we, as you know this, when a dude has a very high skill level, okay, meaning he has a great jump shot or he's got great ball handling ability, skills. When he's got skills, and we all know Michael Jordan has skills, but when you throw in, again, what I originally said when I was talking to you about athletes, Ted, when you throw in guys who are exceptional athletes, exceptional quickness or exceptional power, speed combo, that combined with the skill level is what almost makes guys impossible to guard at the, at the NBA level. Because skills-wise, and Wiz will tell you this, it's not a whole lot separating guys. It's not a whole lot from, no. from one guy to the next. But what does separate is when I can do it faster than you, when I can do it quicker than you, and when I'm skilled enough to where if I get myself two to three inches separated from you to the point that you can't get close enough to me to affect me, you're done. And, and, yeah. that's, what, and that's what MJ could do. You gave him a little bit of space. He was able to utilize superior athleticism while at the same time having that dog mentality to continuously year by year raise his skill level to the point where you just he had no weaknesses couldn't shoot the basketball very well when he first came in the league well guess what when people said he couldn't shoot what he do came out and improved his jump shot then when he started knocking down jump shots and leading the league in scoring then they said well he's selfish he can't pass the ball what did he do after that came back played point guard for the bulls that following year when he got criticized criticized for not passing Led the league in assists. A lot of people don't know that. Led the league in assists at the time he was playing point for the Bulls. So you're talking about a guy who continuously added to his game throughout his career, and that's why he's that's why he's the GOAT. We're going to continue in the same vein of the Step to the Mic show, uh, the podcast here. So, Walt, I got a couple of questions with, for you. All right. All right. First question up. Your best acting debut, the movie with Whoopi Goldberg or the video with Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Whoopi, with, uh, Eddie, you know, because I, I had a line in there. So the little running joke in my family is I always say, hey, have you ever seen that movie starring me and Whoopi Goldberg? <laughs> <laughs> well, next time I see you, I'm going to need a little bit of that cash you got from that, all right, man? And, and if I see you at the Wizards game, I expect a drink, all right? Yeah, man, <laughs> I, I got to go back and look at that now. <laughs> hey, 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 Chris, word on the street, the drinks are on Walt because he's still getting a check from that movie from what I'm understanding. What do you call it? it Whatever that, whatever that group. The royalties. Yeah, yeah. It's, some, it's something that you call it, though. I can't think of it right now. But yeah, I am in that, for sure. Oh, 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 you, oh, you got sack, your SAG You got your SAG, 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 SAG yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do, yeah. I do get SAG checks. It'd be for like 50 cent, you know, for every every year or something like that. But right. I still get a SAG check. We got to go Ooh, look you up on IMDB. <laughs> <laughs> Are you under the wizard or is it Walt Williams? Which one I is it? I have no idea. No idea at all. <laughs> All right, Wizzo. All right, Wizzo. I got another one for you. This one's going to burn a little bit. 1988. Oh, boy. Crossland High School, DeMatha High School. Oh, right. One man. and two. Yes. Woo. All right, we got two PG County, uh, all county selected players on each team. Well, actually, two from uh, from uh, Crossland and one from DeMatha. Gerard Mustoff, then Anthony Hickenbotham, and 
and our very own Walt the Wizard Williams. Yeah. Now, which team you taking? Oh man! Oh, 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 let me finish oh, that. Right. Let okay. me finish that. Okay. The eighty that look, I'm setting them up real smooth now. They don't know what's coming, Chris. Is the eighty-eight squad that lost to uh, Springbrook in the finals, or the Dematha mob that beat Coolidge in the city title? I'm t I'm definitely taking us, right? You know, we were 25, 26, and 0 and then lost that game in the finals. I think that uh we took that team for granted, man. We we thought we was just gonna step out there and, and, and get that win. And they, they just came to play that day. It was their day, you know, but um I, I think it's no debate, man. I mean, we had just so so many so many athletes. Um you know, of my three year span of being in on varsity, we lost six games total. Like two, wow. three of them were were out of out of town in Christmas tournaments. So you know, we we were dominant in this area, man. And uh, so uh, uh, Anthony Anthony Higginbottom was, uh, I mean, that dude was a, a precise pass first point guard. And because of that. Uh, that's why we were so up tempo. We got out on breaks like that because we knew you just haul ass and out there. First dude get open is gonna get that ball, and so we 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 were. I mean, we were entertaining alley oops and pressing full court. I mean, it was unbelievable. So we were not only efficient and 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 we executing. We were good. We were also entertaining. So it's no question, man. We had the eight Gerard Mustard squad up. <laughs> well, I, I'll have you know, but I'm gonna stand up for that Bob. I was on that '88 Bob too, and we were 30 and three. And the only reason why we lost is that we played and lost the teams out of town too. So right. uh, you know, it would have been. Let's say this: it would have been one hell of a game to see number one and number two finally yeah. match up in in the area. Sound yeah. like it. Yeah. yeah. So BY. What's up? I'm gonna get you on the mic right here. Step to the mic for me. What's up, man? Better club. Auto <laughs> Zeus of Barcelona. Uh-huh. Or Republic Gardens in DC. Step to the mic, BY. Step to the mic. Hold up. No, no. No, so no. we're gonna ask. So we no. ask. Where's the basketball questions? Then we'll ask, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, you know, especially when they put that ten outside too, bro. Come on, hey, man. Hey, listen, hey, listen. They, they, they couldn't even get them all in the garden, but they, they used to be literally hanging outside the doorways and all that, man. They couldn't even get everybody up in that joint. So I'm going with the garden, man. I'm going with the garden on that table. You know, all those who like that. You know, but <laughs> I'm going home, baby. Going there you home. go. There yeah, you that's go. A classic. That's a classic, man. Well, look, well, I can end on that, man. This has yeah, been fantastic. We appreciate you guys coming on, chopping it up with us, stepping yeah, to the mic, giving us the real, giving us the lowdown. This has been fantastic. Hopefully you guys will be willing to come back and speak with us again. You know, for my man Chris Miles, you know, and myself, we appreciate you. And, yeah. uh, you know, continued success. And make sure you push the book. Get that book up. Who's got that that's book? All, that's all. Hey. I was waiting for you to finish talking, baby. Yeah. Lessons from Lenny. from Lenny.com. Get yes, your sir. special autographed copies for me and the wizard. Lessons from Lenny.com or anywhere books are sold. Absolutely. Hey, hey, Tony, last time you came over to my house, you you, you brought over a bottle of that Dawn P. So since I did this, man, I expect another bottle next time. <laughs> I got we got you, you, he got you, Chris. I got he got you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs>
How y'all gonna leave the big fella out? Y'all know that's my thing. He got you too, T. <laughs> hey, hey, you see, since you want to talk, you right, like, DP is yo. That is your. Uh, <laughs> we gonna leave that alone. Okay? Leave that alone. All right, thanks for stepping to the mic, fellas. Miles, I got you, baby. I got you.